0: For anyone who wants to be a good spy, this is the book for you. It reveals all the tricks and skills you will need. How to follow the enemy spies without them knowing, how to write secret messages, and how to disguise yourself at the drop of a hat. This book should be kept near you at all times, so you can check your codes and messages, and keep your secrets out of the hands of the enemy. Hi, welcome back to Books Are Back. I'm Ursula. And I'm
1: Catherine. I'm Ursula's mom. And this week, we've got a special guest.
2: I'm Gavin. I'm Ursula's dad.
1: Some of you might
0: remember dad from our episode on Help and a Prisoner in the Toothpaste Factory.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's another book that uh, Ursula's dad has also read. It is the Osborne Spies Guidebook. Now, when I say you have read it, mm-hmm. would I be right in saying? that maybe when you read it as a child, there were three books.
2: Yes, uh, I remember it being in different volumes, as were, I think, the related Osborne's detective series of books. And so they were all highly collectible from the perspective of uh, a young primary school-aged boy.
1: (laughs) Yes, I remember having three books about spies and three books about detectives as well, um,
2: they were kind of little A6-sized books, almost.
1: Yeah. These are A4-sized books, maybe, or
0: maybe
1: A5-sized books. Yes. Um, but they've obviously been bound together into this guidebook. It's clearly the same material. I chose this book because I remember it really clearly from my childhood. I, To me, this is one of the books that actually has information in it that I still use to this day. I,
2: and is that in your career as a spa? <laughs>
1: That's right. I, I still think about whether it's easier to tell whether someone is a man or a woman from the back. Was was one of the key pieces of information. If, if yeah. someone has disguised themselves, and you're not sure, you can see if you go behind them, they might give it away with their walk. I still you clumpy clumsy, <laughs> She yay, 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 yay. I everything I know about code breaking I learned from this book. Right, mum, how do you
0: say "I love you, bear" in Pig Latin?
1: Oh what? <laughs> I think generating code's harder, but I could definitely, definitely break the code. Oink, 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 (laughs) Um, oink. So, for example, if we are doing an escape room and there's a secret code that needs to be broken, I'm all over that because I read this book when I was a child. And I remember the first time i saw these books my parents had taken me to a big department store in london and they wanted to do some shopping and the the store had a book department and they left me there sitting on the floor of the book department and i can remember them coming and checking in on me from time to time we must have been there for hours and it was these books i was i was reading so what do you remember
2: um I remember the very dynamic illustrations of these books. Um, they're very colourful, but they're also very um, thematically consistent throughout. Um, yeah. I also remember there's a lot of wearing of hats that goes on by the spies. Yeah, in the I books. think
0: quite often they use different colours of. So the hat will always match the coat, and the person in the green is one side, and the person in the blue is the other, or the person in the black's the bad spy, and the person in the brown is the good one, is actually doing a good cover <laughs> job.
2: But I also remember, I think this is a bit like Mum, that it gave you what uh, bore to be very practical skills that you could deploy in your future career as a spy. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that it didn't tell you about, obviously, was not discussing things on a podcast to reveal (laughs) your career as a spy, but that's probably because they were written in the 1970s when podcasts were not things that were known about.
0: Right, yes, so... Contact the spying agency for Catherine McCall and Gavin McCall. <laughs> so, what did you think? Uh, I thought they're really good. I've read them before, and I think they're really good.
1: Do you enjoy it?
0: Yeah, oh. I do. I think it. I think they're really fun. I think you can really open them up at a random page and read four or five, and they're fine to just do that and then put them back on the shelf.
2: And what skills do you feel that you've learned about that you might find useful in your day-to-day life?
0: Um, I think I learned that you can tell a lot about someone by just how they sit, how they walk, how they run, how they read a book. Some people will be very stiff and tall, they'll stand very straight, and other people will lean against a wall, and in their chair they'll sit back.
1: We know someone, actually, who works on developing technology that can tell who somebody is by the way they move, um, like like facial recognition, but for gait
2: The way in which you walk. Yeah. Okay. Um, So maybe they were inspired by the Osborne Spy Guidebook to go about developing this new computer technology.
1: Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Yeah. I I I'm guessing it was divided into a book about how to pass secret messages, a book about how to disguise yourself, and a. Book about maybe like breaking into corporate installations.
2: (laughs) There was was definitely one about disguises. I remember that very clearly. And
0: I think there was, there's probably like how to make secret codes, how to write a secret method with a stick of wax, how to decode a secret code, how to use like a drop point, that kind of thing.
1: Yes, a a dead letter drop.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a lot of making. Signs with chalk to indicate that you're sticks. ready for the next thing.
0: Sticks, you know, where they make like a box and then they have a wee arrow pointing out of it in the direction you need to go, and then there are five pebbles. That means five steps that way. Yes, I remember that.
2: Have you tried deploying any of these message leaving techniques?
0: Not particularly. They're all quite obvious. I always feel because <laughs> in the illustrations they're all very big, and so I've always been a bit wary about giving it a go. Because, you know, just thinking, but someone's going to realise that, you know, <laughs> there's a big pile of sticks on the ground. <laughs>
2: well, but I suppose in the modern world, where presumably a lot of spy craft is done by electronic means, maybe these old school things are in some ways a little bit more secure, because yeah. you can't just eavesdrop electronically, mm-hmm. or, you know, allow a Russian hacker to <laughs> find out what you're up to on your mobile phone.
1: Mm-hmm. I was reflecting today on what we know about Disguise and thinking about... I can't remember which film it is where we learn that the name for an expert on Disguise is a wig man.
2: That was The Americans, was it no. not the TV programme?
1: No, I was. well, I was thinking about The Americans TV programme where they do their own wig work. That's a programme about Russian spies in America.
0: And um, where they um, end up... You know, getting married, and she says, "Oh, th- those weren't my actual parents." And he said, "I can't believe I invited my own parents to my wedding."
1: <laughs> no, no, that's a different That's film. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> um, no, the Americans <laughs> is a program about Russian spies in America who they are a married couple. They they come pretending to they come from Russia, pretending to be a married couple. And as the series goes on, it turns out they decide that maybe their marriage is real. And they do a lot of disguise work and the programme is famous for the quality of the disguises and they do it all themselves. They don't have support for that. But I, is, it, is it Wedding Crashers? Where someone... Is, I'm
2: not familiar with the disguise cer- qualities of certain, Wedding Crashers. It's certainly
1: refer- a Vince Vaughn movie where he says, I, you know, my wig man has given me <laughs> this, this moustache or whatever it is. So I just thought, I wonder if the reason I'm so fascinated with this is because I know it's all true. It's more important to alter the shape of your chin than it is to change the colour of your hair and all these little factoids. Well,
2: of course, that rather raises the question about where did the authors, of the Usborne Spies guidebook, get their information from? Were they, in fact, all former operatives of the uh, British Secret Services, you know, is this, if you couldn't be John the you could go chapping on the door of Usborne <laughs> Publishing and say I've got a better idea for a more influential book than Smiley's people.
1: Well, you know, this book doesn't have a credited author. It says on the front illustrated by Colin King but, but it does say inside contributors and names are given but I don't think that's because they're all Spies. I think it's because it's the Osborne way. Osborne mm-hmm. are a, a, quite an unusual publisher um, in that they write they write a lot of their own books. They have staff writers. Um, they're not contracting out with authors who are looking for a publisher or doing deals with authors. They have staff in house who write quite quite a lot of their material. So I think that's the reason.
2: And I'm pretty sure that Colin King, the illustrator, did. A lot of other books as well, for them.
1: Yes, that's right. Well, he so, definitely illustrated the um, Detective Skate book. Yes, and 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 lots and lots of other Osborn books. In fact, I think he he worked for Osborne for quite a long time. One of his first and most successful books was the Know How Book of Spycraft, which came before this. But I couldn't find out a lot about him and his history. I I, I don't know if maybe illustrators don't tell their stories so often as authors do. But I I couldn't find a lot of information about about Colin. But I did get some information about Peter Osborne. Um, Who's Peter Osborne? Well, he owns the company. I probably should have seen that one coming. Yeah. And his story is quite interesting. Did you know, Dad, Peter Osborne founded Private Eye?
2: No, I didn't uh, know that. What's um,
0: Private Eye?
2: It's a satirical magazine that's been going since the uh, early part of the nineteen sixties. Um, I—that's not a name that's familiar to me—and I thought I knew a little bit about the origins of uh, of Private Eye.
1: So, according to him, um, he published a satirical magazine when he was at university. Mm-hmm. And when he left, he and Willie Rushton um, founded Private Eye, and he was not involved in the editorial side. He was very much the... He was just a publisher. Um, and what, the, guy, the, big, the big guy with the printing press? Yeah.
2: But if that's the case, he wasn't a particularly successful publisher, at least in the world of satirical magazines, because Private Eye quickly ran out of money at the start, and it had to be purchased by a man called Peter Cook, who was, in the 1960s at any rate, a very famous British comedian uh, who also had a slightly entrepreneurial side to him. He ran a nightclub in London and he'd also made quite a lot of money through stage shows that he did with his famous and uh, famously small partner in comedy called Dudley Moore. So they had gone off to uh, America and they'd made quite a lot of money there on the stage. So... He took some of that and invested it in private eye, and he owned it until he died.
1: Well, Peter Osborne wasn't there, I don't think, for long, and he was soon in salaried employment with a publishing house. And when he had a child, he decided that what he wanted to do was to make children's books. So he said to his boss, I want to make children's books now. And his boss said, well, we've got, we've got an education department and sent him off to find out a bit more about that. And he joined the education department and he developed a series of phenomenally successful books for use in primary schools called McDonald's Starters.
2: And and so what was the name of the publisher that he was working for? Well, I don't know if
1: it was called McDonald's.
2: That's what I was Um, wondering.
1: But I looked McDonald's Starters up... And I, I didn't get a nostalgia hit from them. They were published in the seventies. Yeah. What but were they? They yeah. were book, They were things for very young children. They were, they were called things like, you know, weather, trains, animals. Yeah. And they did really good business for McDonald. As he got more successful at that company, he decided he'd like to start his own company, and his boss lent him the money to start Osborne.
2: It's quite a generous thing to do, is it? Lend money to your future competitor.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, when you then get knocked out, you go, flip my money back now, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I w- was interested to to read about it. He just thought really deeply about what he wanted the books to be like and how he wanted them to be magnetic to children. And a lot of the features that we think of as typical of a Osborne book our ideas um, that he came up with for example I've read that he thought that if the panels had rounded corners which is quite distinctive then they would be a bit more like a television and you know ge he was competing for children's attention with televisions
0: they are rounded corners
1: yeah so um, to, to me that that is a distinctive Osborne feel. What does Osborne mean to you as a, a child in the twenty twenties? <laughs>
0: um, I don't know. I think they're really fun. I think a lot of the ones that I can remember, they sit on my shelf. They're the, they're like the old ones. They're like the McDonald's starters. They're like weather, springy flowers, um, farm animals, and then I've also got like an adaptations of children's books as well. And they're all really small. They're all really. Thin, but they're all really like interesting, and they keep you occupied.
2: I mean, the ones that I really liked were the time traveller ones, and they had a, a time traveller Vikings and a time traveller Rome and the Romans.
0: Yes, yes, I I've seen the time traveller Romans. I've read it a couple of times. Mm.
2: Well, you've got that at home. I mean, I think yeah. you've got my old copy of all of those time traveller books. Uh, that mercifully Granny did not get rid of. So uh, I think they're really good. And what you see with those, and I think quite a lot of other Osborne books, is obviously what I would regard as high-quality illustration that conveys a lot of information through the pictures, but also quite a lot of text within the pictures to explain what's going on. And I think that that is quite appealing. I mean, I certainly remember when I was about your age when I was about 10. That sort of thing really worked for me because it wasn't just saying here's a beginner's picture book, it was here's something that's actually got real information and if you wanted to you could take that further from there.
0: Um, I've always liked the Usborn Lift the Flat books. Where where you like get, I think I've got one on the Romans. You get a picture with you know a reasonable amount of information, but then you can open up a window from a house and go. No one has ovens, so you've got to go to you know a big place with lots of them to cook your food or take get a takeaway, that kind of thing.
2: But we've also got you some new ones that weren't available when we were children, which I think are also. High quality. No, the politics, Osborne, the economy, the money.
0: P- philosophy.
2: And you were really into those when yeah. you got them.
0: They're really cool. They've got lots of kind of pictures and then they explain the concept in speech bubbles like there's a conversation going on.
1: Yes, yeah, so lots and lots of different techniques to get all that information over. So Peter Osborne says that his books should be accessible but also surprising. And I was interested to read a quotation from him that says, I use the word edible about my books. I want my books to be as edible as those bottles of sweets one used to see in old fashioned post offices. And I think you said, it reminds me of this, you said they were, they were collectible. You know, you wanted to have them all.
0: And the ones in like nature are all so if you had all the green ones.
1: Exactly, and in fact, that's one of the that's one of the house rules in Osborne when they're looking for books. One of the, you know, you know, one of the things that they've got to be simple and informative and accurate. But one of the rules is, if possible, part of a series.
2: <laughs> well, I, I remember looking so back, and when I, green. <laughs> I remember looking back when I was a child. I was very much the sort of person that liked a series and liked to have the whole series, and. I don't know whether that's my influence or whether it's just what children are like, but certainly you're like that as well, aren't you? You really do like to get stuck into a series.
1: But to go back to spying in particular, I found when I was trying to find out a bit more about this book, so much love for it on the internet. Just people my age and your father's age just saying, oh, I love that book. (laughs) And I think this is brilliant review for the book on Amazon. I can't credit this review, but it's from someone an Amazon reviewer called The Red Breast who writes Four Stars, an indispensable item for undercover operatives. MI6 still hands these books out to Field Agents. Does it? <laughs> Do they? MI six still hands these books out to field agents working deep cover missions on foreign soil, and there's a reason why. (laughs) King's decades of experience as both an active agent and head of counter. At (laughs) MI five, MI six, and MI (laughs) seventeen.
0: What's MI (laughs) seventeen?
1: I'll try that again.
2: (laughs) I think you might have to help mum read this out.
1: King's decades of experience as both an active agent and head of counterintelligence at MI5. MI16. (laughs) Stop laughing!
2: (laughs) This just takes us back to Peter Cook and Dudley (laughs) Mooner, doesn't it? You're (laughs) both
1: corpses. You're laughing. King's decades of experience as both an active agent and head of counterintelligence, MI5, MI6, and MI7X, show through in this manual's concise, detailed, but practical approach to tactical and strategic government espionage. What's
0: MI7X?
2: That's a joke, Bear. What
1: is it so secret that no one knows what it is? Isn't like the idea. In my years as an intelligent asset, this (laughs) book. (laughs) In my years. In my years as an intelligent asset, this book has saved my life countless times. <laughs> From <the laughs> I don't think I can read any more of
2: this. <sighs> Would the help if I read it? <laughs> I <don't>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> From the time I had to write a secret note to a source in East Germany in the mid-80s with lemon
0: <laughs> With Invisible Ink, to the advanced A equals 1, B equals two encryption methods that encoded a warning to avert a major terror attack on all the world's post office boxes to its use as a guidebook on how to set fiendishly clever traps to tell if an enemy agent has tampered with your files. Taping a hair across the seam of the sock drawer where I keep my secret files enables me to sleep with both eyes closed at least two nights a month. This book is indispensable. Whenever I have needed help in the field, this book has been there. In Berlin, Kamchatka, and the Persian Gulf, (laughs) it was and is my only true trusted friend. It only misses the full five stars because the section on selected huge coloured trench holds and cutting eye holes in newspapers (laughs) is still a little brief, despite pleas from agents in the field to update this crucial information. But this is a slight mark in the, on the absolute <laughs> classic that has saved millions of lives and will continue to do so for years to come. Sorry about that, we had a bit of a, a giggle from the other two.
2: So did you, did you quite enjoy that review?
1: <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I found that review <laughs> highly amusing and I also thought it was a great example of the the sheer love and nostalgia that this book brings out in in people my age to calm us all down. Bear, have you got a quiz? Yes, I do.
2: Have you written it in an Invisible link?
1: <laughs> right,
0: this is going to be a buzz in your answers. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay, question one. How do you say S O S in Morse code? Booze. Yes.
1: Dot 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 dash 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 dot dot dot.
0: And can you tap that out? <laughs> Correct, i in here. Question two. What is a false drop?
1: Booze! <coughs> mum. When you pretend to put the message somewhere, but in fact you've put it somewhere else.
0: Correct. OK, this question of the quiz is not a competitive one. That that means you lost a Mum. And, but I'm going to give you each a minute to think of your answer. So I'm going to give you each a place, and you're going to tell me how you would disguise yourself there. Mum, museum, dad, countryside. Go.
1: Right, what have you come up with? In a museum, <clears throat> I would disguise myself as a tourist and I would have a guidebook um, that I could hide behind <laughs> and peek over the top of, and I would take care to get the right guidebook for that museum, and I'd have uh, a dress in my holiday clothes and I would have a rucksack to keep all my secret equipment in.
2: Uh, Well, I would have two options in the countryside, I think. Uh, The first of them would be as a farmer, so I'd have some mud-spattered wellies, a quad bike and a sheaf of subsidy application forms with me to show that I was a real style farmer We're not
0: giving you a quad bike (laughs)
2: Uh, Or alternatively I'd dress up as a sheep (laughs) 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 Because nobody would expect that
0: He'd blend right in Bah
1: (laughs) Excellent, so did I win the quiz?
0: Uh, Yes, you won the quiz and I think that Dad had the most creative option for the last question Well done, so it's a draw Yeah, well done
1: Excellent. Sheep. <laughs> Has anyone else got any spying information they was to share?
0: Yeah, I think that last book that you were talking about might have been on kind of tracks and working out whether a man or a woman made the track, whether it was a cat or a dog, that kind of thing.
2: What, and how to follow people and things like that?
0: Yeah, like you need to stay at the travels. You need to always have a reason that you're there.
1: You just stop and look in a window and see if they walk past or whether they stop too.
0: Yeah, is that right? Yeah. So if you if you if you see them looking in the window trying to see you, step so that they can't see your shadow anymore. If they step to one of the other sides, then
1: it probably means they're trying to see you in the window. And also amazing Osborne pictures of like, like a like a snowy bank with lots of sets of footprints in it. Yeah. And trying to work out, which, out which ones which are which. It's always like quizzes and things
0: yeah like here are 16 footprints and here are 16 shoes which one made which footprint
1: yeah like activities excellent what a great book do you want to find out what's on next week
0: no not really
1: <laughs> yes yes i do okay it's in an envelope I, I, I literally bought this yesterday it's pretty exciting that rustling sound is my paper bag I have bought you a copy of Caroline Keane's The Secret of the Old Clock. Ooh! The First Nancy Dreamer's Dream. History. Ooh! This sounds good. So I think Ursula started reading that already, so we've wind <laughs> this up. Thanks very much, Dad, for joining us.
2: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: And we'll invite you back.
2: Thank you very much.
1: That won't be next week, because I don't think you'll have read the Nancy Drew
2: books. I I haven't read the Nancy Drew books, interestingly, and I think this happened the last time I was on, um, that the book that you were going on to was something that was, certainly when we were children, perceived as being more for girls than for boys, which, of course, maybe explains why you'd read them and I hadn't done. But also, again, Nancy Drew is an American book, and... I didn't didn't read a lot of American stuff when I was a child. No
1: Hardy Boys?
2: No, no no Hardy Boys. Do you know the detective books that I read when I was a child? Sherlock Holmes.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe a future episode on that. Interesting. Well, next week, it's American Detective Fiction with Carolyn Gaden, and we'll speak to you again then on Books Are Back. Thanks for listening. Bye.
2: Bye.